Welcome to the Hypothalamic Amenorrhea Podcast. I'm Danny Sheriff, your host, certified fertility awareness practitioner, functional nutrition counselor, and founder of the HA Society, and of course, an HA recovery coach who has walked where you currently are walking. This is the place to come if you care about getting your period regularly. This podcast aims to educate, inform, and keep you motivated on your period and HA recovery track. So let's dive in. But last thing, nothing on the show should be taken as medical advice. So please seek the advice of your physician. Hey, are you trying to recover and maybe even fall pregnant naturally? I thought that might be you. And if so, we have created our best ever yet resource for you. Totally free. This is a masterclass. I've called it my masterclass because I have put everything into this, right? This masterclass is designed for you if you have HA or have had HA and are dealing with suboptimal cycles and you're serious about restoring those babies to full optimization and you want to create the ideal foundation for a pregnancy. This is going to be for you. So in this masterclass, I'm going to provide you a lot of things, including a lot of case studies, mine, Ashley's and Mishi's, as well as lots of our past clients and what their challenges were and what they had to do to overcome it. And we cover a really wide variety of types of cases of HA. So everything from primary amenorrhea and missing periods for years and years to short-term amenorrhea and what we did to handle that situation as well and how long it took these people to go from HA to pregnant with this system and how long it took them to go from HA to ovulating, of course, with this system. So lots of information, lots of case studies, lots of stats. We go through why this is not a weight gain plan and how we actually divide you into phases, the three phases of HA and determine what your starting point is so that you have a good idea of where you need to start with your actual changes and lifestyle nutrition changes. We even cover questions like HA and people with a normal BMI and recovery for people who have had HA for too long. There's so much in this 60-minute masterclass, y'all, I'm impressed. And at the end, I'll also be running you through how to get a free HTMA, hair tissue mineral analysis through us, which is a part of our process for recovery and preconception clients that we're happily going to give you for free 99 as a massive thank you, of course, for joining the masterclass. So go to the hasociety.com forward slash masterclass or head to our website and you'll find a link for it and find when the next available presentation is going to be. That's the hasociety.com forward slash masterclass. I'm good. Hey everyone, welcome back to the HA podcast. It's me, Danny. I am here, also joined by Ashley, also joined by one of Ashley's past clients. It's been about six months. Her name is Karina. Welcome, Karina. Welcome, Ashley. Hey, hey. Yes. Yeah, so hello. Yeah, we are excited to share this story. Um, I have worked with Karina for a while and um, full disclosure, you can still get your period back even if you worked with us and then 
get what you need and keep working on it. And so Karina and I have actually stayed in contact. I have always been like, Hey, you're on my mind. And then we just check in with her or she would share. And so we have an exciting, um, story, a recovery story for you. It is not without all the pain points and all the struggles. Um, but yes, so Karina came to us with primary amenorrhea and we'll just kind of kick it off there. Um, if like, you kind of just want to give us some background, how, I mean, how long did you have primary amenorrhea? That's kind of (laughs) because obviously, but what was it like getting diagnosed with primary amenorrhea? When did that happen for you? And kind of like fill us in on like, what did it feel like to be going about life being like, so they say, this is what I have, you know, type of thing. Yeah. All right. (laughs) Well, I, when I, I always was kind of on the end of getting a later period, just, you know, as a flyer and cheerleading, super active. And so no one really thought much of it. Um, when I was like 12, 13, 14. Um, but once I was 14, I started eating less. Um, some things happened in my life and a uh, full-on eating disorder started. And so um, at 14 years old, had an eating disorder, um, went to treatment, was in and out of treatment four times um, and was told when I was about 18 and hadn't had a period that I had primary amenorrhea and that I probably wasn't ever going to be able to have kids at that point um which I thought was pretty like out there for like only an 18 year old that's had an eating disorder for at that time four years and so I didn't really think much of it at all I was like whatever you're full of crap so I just kept doing what I was doing um struggled with any disorder for probably another two years and was out of treatment um, by the time I was 20. Um, but I still was in very pseudo recovery after treatment. I still had my time in bodybuilding, competed in that, had my time in competitive CrossFit and competed in that. So my body never got a break. It was just always going, 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 never really at a healthy weight, not at a quote unquote sick enough weight to like have a diagnosing disorder being treatment, but my body was never fully just like rested, recovered. I think since treatment, I had never taken more than four days off of the gym in a row. So, um, you know, just training for like three hours a day plus for a good two or three years after that. Um, and it wasn't until I met my now husband that the whole first of all, just like using my entire days to work out and focus so much on what I'm eating to the point where it was unhealthy. I needed to get that addressed, but then also just wanting to be a woman. I like actually caring about that because for the, you know, five years that I knew I had primary amenorrhea, um, I didn't really care because I was like, whatever, maybe I just don't want kids then. I'm going to, you know, be a competitive athlete my entire life or whatever. It didn't really mean anything to me. I did not care at all. Um, but when my husband did come into my life was when, well, at the time was my boyfriend. 
was when I started caring and it first started just being caring about, I need to stop spending so much time in the gym and stop like thinking so much about food. Like when he'd want to make breakfast for me, not being able to eat it with him because I couldn't track those macros perfectly. Um, it was kind of opened my eyes to this fact that this needs to change. And then on top of that, you know, I don't feel like a feminine woman that should be in this, you know, getting close relationship with someone that means a lot to me. Um, my husband also has a son. So I was like, and now I'm putting all this like on him. I don't want him, you know, never being able to eat with me and just stopping that relationship growth, um, because of this. And so I just started kind of watching the disordered part of things a little bit more. Um, and I made some progress, gained some weight and stuff, but still was very, you know, COVID happened and I was training like an hour and a half in 110 degree heat. I couldn't stop working out even though the gyms were closed. Um, and so once we got married though, when we started talking about a family, I was like, I really, really need to hit the ground running with this. Cause now at this point I'm 24 and still have never had, um, a period. So, um, you know, I tried birth control because that's what, of course, the first woman's health doctor told me was going to help it would jumpstart it, quote unquote. Um, so I took that for maybe like almost a year. Um, and then I figured out all the terrible things um, that it was actually doing on my body. My AMH was shot completely. Um, and I was like, why would I ever take that? And then when my AMH was shot completely, it was very low. The women's health doctor told me that was pretty much pre- menopausal and I would definitely never be able to have kids unless I went like that week to a fertility doctor and started IVF so. so let's pause right there because I feel like that's kind of where we intersected I remember you going to that appointment and I think I remember like texting Daniel was like I hate when my clients go to doctors and <laughs> not because I hate doctors but I'm like one, because like, I don't know what they're saying to you Two, I feel like I can't be there be like, excuse me, but what about that? You know what I mean? Like, just like this, like mother hen that's like, excuse me. No, we do not talk about that. You know what I mean? We, we do not speak death over people like that. Like there's nothing wrong with her womb anyway. So like, there's that point. Then there's also, it's just so powerful of an experience because I feel like you called me right after, like you were like in the car, you know what I mean? Like we were like, yeah. I was like, in the car just freaking out. Yeah, you're, my like, little oh my God. you're like, oh my gosh. Right. Um, because I feel like he was like, you need to freeze your eggs next month. Right. Didn't he say that? Mm -hmm. Or am I making that? Yeah. He was like, if you have any shot, you need to freeze your eggs next month. And I was like, whoa right and so then as a coach I was like oh my gosh I'm on a timeline of a possibly of months like excuse yeah. me right so I had to like not like collect myself but I had to remember no what my job is is to give you informed information about your health and so that's when I actually, you really spurred me to start digging into AMH, look into the studies. Now we have a whole section of this in our module spurred on by you. Um, but it was one of those things where I remember being like, hold on. It makes sense that your AMH would be low. You've not like, like there hasn't been a time in your life right now where you've had enough estrogen to even go down the HPO axis, let alone, um, 
FSH, enough SFH to mature any of the follicles. I don't think that this is a permanent prediction of what you will be able to do. I think it is simply a reflection of your current status based on being estrogen deficient, right? And mm-hmm. come to find out that's exactly what the research says, you know, that's ex- you know, and so I love this part of your story is because, and there's nothing wrong with anybody who has chosen to freeze their eggs. You know what I mean? No, nothing at all. Or how, or who has chosen to go down the IVF route. But I just remember you feeling very like, this is my only option. Like, what if this is my only option and I can't risk like not having an option, you know what I mean? So kind of tell us about like, what was your mindset of like, what was going through your head? Like the fears of like, but what if recovery doesn't work and I lose this chance to freeze my eggs? Because the way he made it seem like it was like, girl, your ovaries and eggs are toast. Let's just see if we can get anything next month. And that's your best shot. Yeah, the way he worded it definitely didn't help feel much better because he was like, we're going to do it. We have to do it next month. We're going to get you going now. We're going to, I was already getting phone calls like that day, trying to have me schedule things. And he also made it sound like, you know, in all honesty, it's a pretty low probability anyway. And I was like, well, so I'm going to spend thousands, thousands of dollars. I have literally like a week to make this decision. If you want to get the ground running by like a month from now. Um, and I don't even know if I want to make this decision. I didn't know anything really about IVF at that point. Um, it's just, I just felt stressed. I was like kind of in full like panic mode. Like I didn't know what to do because it was really scary. Just the idea that it could be my only shot while also doing something that I know nothing about um, that I was told probably might not even work cost a bunch of money. We are still, we're still not wealthy. We were like newly married. I just started my first actual career, only 24. It was just really overwhelming and really stressful. And so, but I still felt in my gut, even through that, that there was something they were saying that wasn't right. Like I knew that what my past looked like looks very different than probably a lot of people he sees um I couldn't even find anyone like online any podcast or anything the story that sounded quite the same and so I was like in a way that makes me feel hopeless because I can't find anyone's story of primary amenorrhea or you know low IVF so like it was kind of panicking that way but also in the way of what if he's never seen this before either and what if he's I don't think this fertility doctor man understands uh 10 plus year history of an eating disorder. So I just kind of, when I talked to you, I, it, the idea just went out of my head. I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to risk that. I'm not going to do it. I didn't feel called. Um, I just felt like I didn't feel like the Lord was calling me to do that. It felt wrong in my stomach. And I was like, okay. And now I have confirmation that maybe that's not my only option. Um, and so I kind of, just kind of threw that idea out the window. And I think in my heart at the end of the day, it was like, you know, if what my call to do is adopt, then it is that right now then, um, cause this doesn't feel good. So remember you talking about that of like, you know, I realize I'm not out of options. I'm not against adoption. You know what I mean? Um, 
And so I love that too. So you had mentioned, which I, that's why I was like, you have to come on the podcast is that like, you weren't able to find anybody similar to your story. Yes. It's encouraging to listen to the HA podcast, but like, it's like all of you guys have proof that like you can ovulate, like you have ovulated before your body has done that. So can you just kind of dive into like, what does it look like approaching HA recovery when you're like, but I've never seen my body do this before. Like guys, I don't have any firsthand evidence that my body can do it. Mm -hmm. It's scary. (laughs) It's definitely hard. Um, especially in the sense of, and I know you and I had this conversation many times, but this feeling of HA recovery is hard for anyone in the sense of I'm eating way more than society tells me is okay. I'm exercising way less than I used to. And then society says it's okay. And my body's changing. Um, So that's hard. And that's hard all the way around, no matter what, it's not easy to go through HA recovery and just see the body changes and do the things you have to do to get a period. But while I was doing all that, there was the back of my mind that was thinking, but what if my body can't anyway? And I'm doing all of this for no reason. Like I'm changing my body and everything for no reason. And now I'm going to go over what I need to be at because I'm still trying to get this period. Just all these like, what ifs, I think, because I didn't have that evidence that my body was capable of doing it. And that made the process very, very scary. And I think it put a big block in my process where I got to a point where I was like, I'm uncomfortable with my body now. I don't think it's ever going to happen. So I was stuck for like months of just not really progressing in any way whatsoever. And I do think it led to that idea of not knowing whether my body was capable anyway and kind of doubting that it was. Um, so, I mean, it definitely made that hard, like all the what ifs and just kind of lack of trust in my body because it hadn't given me a reason to trust it, but I also had not given it a reason to trust me. So, um, I think that's important to remember too. It's not my body's fault, but yeah, that's definitely what that was like. That is so powerful because you're right. It's like, technically you haven't given it trust and that can be really hard to like hear, to hear that we have potentially maybe been holding back our body or not that like, oh, you did this, you know what I mean? But it's like, Am I asking something from my body that I'm also not willing to give it? And that's a really tough part in recovery. I don't know, Danny, is there anything that kind of like this like bubbles up? Cause you know, I could talk forever. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I definitely know a lot of people who have had um, primary HA and it's a kind of, it's just really scary. And to what you were saying, Ash, just like, you don't have this, um, comfort of knowing that you've seen it before and you know how it's going to work so it's almost like um more of a feels like more of a blind trust with a lot of fear um I don't know I just am I'm enjoying (laughs) listening so far to to what happened and what happened next and I remember pairing specifically pairing Karina with you on the discovery call Ash just because um you know, this is deep work and it's, uh, it's not just that the period is missing. 
mm-hmm. but it's all of like it's the why that it's missing that is the that is the deep work and like where it's going to get really tricky um but just like always knowing it's possible this is just like a very exciting um call, like a excited call to be listening into and like hearing about all you guys went through and I'll definitely pop in soon yeah. with que- further questions as I <laughs> as I feel like but wait what did this bit what happened in this bit yeah I just I just love your story over and over because I don't really think that there was and this isn't like I don't want it to be over dramatic, but I don't want us to gloss over like the grit and the struggle. I don't really know if there was ever an extended period of time where like you were like, okay, I could totally do like, you like, you like it would come and go, but like, it took so much grit from you to keep going without this firsthand evidence with this doctor speaking over you that basically, even if you were to freeze your eggs, it's a low chance. Sorry, girl, which makes sense. You know, Danny reminds me of this all the time. When I go on rants, he, you know, like she was like, look, IVF specialists are not cycle specialists. They are not, you know what I mean? Like they, they specialize in in vitro <laughs> fertilization. That is what they specialize. And so, because I feel like there's a lack of, well, same with like OBGYNs, like, like, yes, they do all the other things, but they're like trained in surgery. Right. You know what I mean? Like this is, and so surgery and IVF isn't the same thing as fully understanding a cycle and knowing what triggers it and how to improve it naturally. Meaning think about like, we never go to the doctor and they never say, Hey, let me look at your chart. Like, let me look at your temperatures. Like, what are they doing? How are you feeling? I mean, in fact, they think it's fake science. (laughs) Yeah. Like they're just, I can't believe that you would ever chart. Like you're like, you're for sure going to get pregnant just by looking at your husband you know what I mean? Or by Mm -hmm. your partner or whatever, like, like they don't see any validity into it. Right. So there's really this massive gap of like body and think about in an IVF specialist appointment or an OBGYN appointment, there's nobody's taking the time to teach women actually about their body or body literacy. So that really leaves this massive gap of, well, this is what the medical professionals are telling me. And now Ashley, you're telling me that there's a way it's possible. (laughs) You know what I mean? So what is it like, what did it feel like having to move against almost like what every medical professional has told you about the condition of your ovaries. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> yeah. It actually felt frustrating. It felt like I, it felt like I couldn't trust like anything because I just didn't know. I was like, yeah, society on one side of the spectrum these people that claim to be cycle hormone fertility experts on Instagram on the other end of the spectrum, um, my body, me on that other end of the spectrum, my coach on the other end of the spectrum. And it was just all these things that help all these differing thoughts. And I told myself that I over and over again, that I was going to just have it be between me and my coach and put all my trust in that. But it's hard when you're constantly bombarded with all these things. And when you just go for your well women's exam and you get bombarded with all these things and Um, but I think what helped me know that it maybe wasn't true was like, even like the fertility doctor and my women's health doctor 
said, just go on the pill and it'll jumpstart it. And I know that's not true. Like, I know I already tried that. I know that just, did, if anything, did more harm. I think that impacted my image too. And I was just like, if you're telling me to do that, then clearly you don't know everything because that didn't do anything. So I just held on to that and that alone. Um, but it was hard, especially because there was the gaining weight and body changes that went along with it. So I was like, there's that piece of my brain almost that was fighting against that. That was also being like, well, maybe these doctors are right then. And so maybe, maybe I just can't. So it was almost like that part of my brain that was pushing back against my body changing so much and, you know, eating so much and all this stuff that was going kind of towards what if they're right and things like that. No matter how much I told my brain to just keep it between me and my coach. You are so right. I mean, I know, I, I know that I know this and I know that I've experienced it, but you know, like whenever, like, I think just as coaches, it's so important that we stop and we do like this, like almost like not like offboarding, you know what I mean? But this like recap, because you're so right. I, I remember feeling the same way too. I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like first off gaining weight in a society that glorifies weight loss is one thing. But then gaining weight when every medical professional has told you, no, the way to fix this is IVF or birth control is like, yeah, it's, it's, it's like, we're already swimming upstream, but now like when we're swimming upstream, the big boulder swimming upstream is like the medical professionals being like, here, take birth control here, take IVF, here, freeze your eggs here, do this. You know what I mean? And I was a way out without getting weight. You got it. Oh yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Your weight's fine. You're so healthy. And I'm like, everything coming out of your mouth is actually not helpful. Please stop talking. Just stop talking. If you're not going to educate me, stop talking. You know what I mean? Like, that's how I feel now. I'm like, just stop. Um, But one of the things that I remember being in this stage of my journey too, and I didn't even have primary, right. But I had five years and a million doctors and a million appointments. I finally was like, when I look at someone's bio, I don't freaking care how many kids you have. I don't care about your dog's name. I don't care about what you like to do. I don't care about your fun facts. I actually need to know, do you believe that a birth control pill will fix my hormones? Yeah, that's going to tell me everything. I actually just need to get to the point. I'm a pretty non-fluff person anyways, in general. Like I just can't stand it. Just get to the point on, you know what I mean? Like, you know, like with like recipes, I don't care about your dog's excursion today on your way to make an ice cream. How do I make the ice cream? Right. That's Um, all I want to know. That's all I want to know. But it's like one of those things I finally felt like saying before I even make an appointment, Man, before I even take the time to get off of work, to go to this appointment and drive to this appointment, I honestly just need to know what is your practicing philosophy on Mm. hormones, birth control. I honestly feel like if people would just put out that statement, it would save so much time because the amount of doctors that I had to sit through, like I also saw an IVF specialist in my husband came at the time and he was in like the moment he, he said, yeah, just get on birth control. And then whenever you're ready to have kids come see me. And I was like, and so he had just got clued in on like the truth about birth control. And he about came out of his chair. And I just already knew that the conversation was over by then because he just tried to tell me that 
hormonal birth control is the same as my own hormones. And that's the best next case. He's, I mean, I didn't know about HA then, but he literally looked at my file. I will never forget it. He looked at my file and said, yep, you have HA and just put it down on the stack of piles that he had. And he was like, so it's just start taking birth control and whenever go make an appointment with the nurse to test your, um, to test your tubes, to see if they're open. And I didn't think that that was like an invasive process. And I just actually thought it was going to be pain-free. And he said, and then whenever you're ready, uh, we'll just get started with the injections and stuff. And I was just like, okay. And anyway, so I went to the nurse and so I, I think like, thank gosh, something like prompted me to ask, is this a painful process? She goes, I'm not going to lie. It is really uncomfortable. I was like, Oh freak. No, like, I don't even, like, I don't even want IVF. I'm, I'm just trying to get to the bottom of my missing period. I don't like, no, yeah, you know? dude. <laughs> I was just like, no, we're not shoving no die in my, in my fallopian tubes. You know what I mean? No. And, yeah. I was like, stop. Like, I actually just want to know why my cycle was missing. <laughs> That's all I want. Yeah. They ain't going to tell you that. Were you going to say something? Oh, no. She's drinking water now. Oh. No, I mean, no. I was. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, wait. So, back on Karina's story, as wonderful as yours is, Ash. Yeah. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Rabbit hole. <laughs> no, for sure. Okay. So, when. You, you were just kind of talk about like having discovered or like what it was like to just be heard to hear how like broken you are quote unquote um mm -hmm. and just panic is happening from everyone around you but what like what happened next what were you what were you holding on to that kind of kept you going through it and like what you know we, we've discussed how difficult it is to swim upstream in this environment so like what worked for you? Uh, well, it was, def it was definitely, yeah, it was a really slow swim upstream. Um, there was a lot of, I'm stopping here and then I'm gonna go a little bit more and then I'm stopping here. Um, but I think, I think, well, fear a little bit did because I was like, if I know that already, that for sure I'm not doing any of this, I'm not doing IVF, I'm not, you know, I'm not doing any of these, things um then I have to keep going it's literally my only option and so hey do you know what your blind spots are as in do you know what it is what the thing is that is holding you back from getting your period back Look, it could be an absolute plethora cornucopia of things, but in our practice what we tend the first place we tend to go is what behaviors and habits do you have around food that you may be still doing and these are called blind spots because we just don't necessarily always know that they're an unhelpful habit or that it's something that we're doing whether it be a subconscious or conscious need to control our food or our body or whether it be something that you've just done for so long that it feels normal and like a preference even. We have created a checklist. It's a three-page checklist that goes through food types, behaviors around food, and mindsets around food. And what you do is you go through the lists and you check off and you see which ones are you doing, whether it be daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly. 
and how are they potentially affecting your recovery today? So it's a really simple checklist. It's just three pages. You go through it. There's a very simple scoring system to help you figure out um, how much this may be impacting your recovery. And it's just an insightful thing for you to do to help you reflect and then you can journal about it or you can learn more about it and just start really working at any of the boxes that you checked and understanding that they're playing a role in your recovery. So to get the checklist, all you have to do is go to the hasociety.com forward slash blind spot and we'll send it straight through to you. You can print it off and you can check on it every now and then. I always recommend a reflection point every like four to six weeks. How are you going? Are you still checking that behavior off or have you, you know, systematically kicked it to the curb? So check it out. It's the hasociety.com forward slash blind spot and it will be waiting for you there. That um, kept me going and definitely just continuing to um, think of in the decisions I'm making, what is strengthening my relationship with my husband and our relationship with my faith, my relationship with the Lord, because I was still doing things that weren't helpful for that, even though I was quote unquote eating like the amount you're supposed to in HA recovery and things like that. I was still, you know, pretty stressed about getting my training done. Was it as much training as I was doing before my recovery journey? No, but it was still like, this is happening and it's a non-negotiable ever whatsoever. Um, and still tracking my macros to make sure I hit that, you know, 2,500 or whatever it was. So I was still doing things that weren't strengthening that relationship. And so I knew that no matter what weight gain, getting my period back, anything aside, I still had work to do, um, because it was taken away from my relationships and my family with my stepson, with my husband, um, and with the Lord. And so I just kept, I just kept doing it, even though it was hard. And even though I'd stop at times and I'd plateau at times and I'd have, I'd have multiple month long plateaus at times. I just, I knew it was my only option. And I knew I still wasn't even mentally at the place I wanted to be at. And so how, who's to say that I should be getting a period if I'm still tracking and if I'm still having training as a non-negotiable. So I think that like just fact-checking my mindset in the process was, mm. you know, I'm still not doing everything was kind of yeah. where I was at with that. I actually love that perspective. That's really important for everyone to do because we all at any level of fertility issues, we all get um, this like I'm doing everything mindset and it really feels true in the moment because of how hard you're working. But uh, but the facts, what are the facts? You're still holding on to this. You're still doing that. Um, you've only been doing this for X amount of time. Like all of those things are the mm-hmm. actual facts and everything else is just your emotions about it. Mm-hmm. And it really helps to face the facts, right? And be like, you know, there is more I could do. So I'm, I'm obviously making a choice. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Okay. I loved how yeah, you were chatting about, um, like, like, you know, like there was like these things were still hurting your relationship. And I think that's a lot of things that people actually don't talk about is that this is like, this is a painful process for many reasons, but one of them, one of the reasons is because it kind of shines a light on our habits and behaviors 
that don't really line up with who we want to be or our values, but then like we, but then like we see ourselves doing it and we're like, wow, like I'm not even happy that I'm doing it. You know what I mean? Like, I remember you like, you know, like that, that was a lot of distress of like, no, I want to be able to take my son to work or to school. You know what I mean? Like, but like, and so like you were kind of talking about how like it really pulls from the person that we want to be. And it's like really going in this opposite direction and not saying that we, and and it's not always so black and white, right? Like, like who, I mean, like who doesn't love working out and I love getting it done first thing in the morning. I mean, I don't now, I mean, that's a whole other season, but you know what I mean? Like who doesn't love getting it done the first thing in the morning? So then you have the rest of your day and stuff like that. And so it's just really interesting. Like as life changes, as our life situation changes, the inflexibility of those habits, it's not so much those habits themselves, but the inflexibility of those habits really is what causes the tension. And so as we're recovering, it's not just eating more and working out less. It's like, oh my gosh, there's parts of my personality that doesn't line up with who I want to be. And that sucks too. Like that's a whole other turmoil. You know what I mean? Yeah, it does. And I, as you know, too, became, you know, an eating disorder therapist during that time. And that really put that into perspective for me of like, wow, I'm telling, I'm literally telling, therapizing these kids that I care about so much to do something or think some way that I'm still not doing. And I'm like, they look at me like, I'm like, you know, I got it all figured out. And that was a big kind of fact check for me, for sure. Um, just because at that point I was like, I'm so, I'm recovered from eating disorder. I'm going to be this recovered therapist and things like that. And that was just like, it was very convicting. Like, I'm still not living by these values in the sense that I can tell these kids to think this way and do these things and they can do it. And I still can't. And they think that I'm like, you know, got it all figured out. I'm recovered. I'm, I can eat anything and do, you know, it's perfect. And that was very convicting for me too, in terms of like living by my values. I always wanted to be an eating disorder therapist. Um, and I was finally there and yet feeling convicted in the sense of, I won't actually truthfully be a role model for these kids as a recovered therapist. And I know what to tell them to do. That's not a problem, but knowing in my heart that I'm not even fully doing that yet was extremely, um, convicting for me. So wanting to live by those values too, of like, clearly I know what to think and what to say to someone struggling with this. So I need to actually start fully living it out and not just partially and living in this limbo because then I'll constantly be living kind of a lie in a way. Um, if this is what I'm always going to be doing for the rest of my life. Um, so that was very convicting too, in terms of that whole living by your values standpoint thing. But yeah. I think it's, I love that you share that because I know it's so tough to share that. I, you know what I mean? Just because I remember that was my main thing for whenever I was a nutrition coach and I was encouraging everybody to work on their health. And it, just because my version of working on my health looked different than what they were going after the concept was still there. And so to be out of integrity, I think people who are in coaching, counseling, fitness, you know, things, 
that is naturally really high of a value for us. It is extremely high. I don't really know. I mean, I don't really know very many coaches that are like, I'm totally okay with telling my clients to do one thing. And I want to go completely against my own advice. And I'm going to do something completely different because it's okay for me. And so while we may be in that limbo area, it, it never feels great. And it always kind of nags at us, you know? And so I know that that was one of my main reasons also for like recovering is like, I can't spend five more years telling people, you know, to do what's best for their health. And I'm choosing not to do it for Mm -hmm. certain reasons, certain external reasons. Why? Because I just want to keep my six pack. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So tough. Okay. So I know that, and like you have mentioned this, that, that, you know, like this has been a slow build up. And so I love that you're sharing that because I think a lot of people are like, well, it hasn't happened yet. And like, you've been honestly working on this for a while now and like you've reached it. So there is validity in taking your time. You know what I mean? It's painful yeah. longer, you know what I mean? But like there is validity, sorry, validity. There we go. Um, What do you think for you was, the last thing, well, not the last thing, the very few things that have helped you get up and over this, you know, to start again, you know, to really push forward and get to this place. Um, it was kind of, I don't think it was even what typically happens in the sense that it sounds like it was more stressful than anything. It wasn't necessarily this season of just like complete calm rest it was more like um so I had my newer ish job as in sort of therapist and I um we moved into an actual house we got a new dog we um we just there were just a lot of things going on that to the point where I couldn't really focus as much on tracking macros and just put as much stress onto specifically the food and the period and everything like that I kind of went through a phase of not stressing about it but knowing that I needed to feel knowing what I needed to do because I'd been doing it for so long so I didn't give up on it in the sense of not stressing about it but I think just fully surrendering to it and being like I'm going to keep doing this stuff but not to this point of where I'm tracking everything I'm eating and I'm you know, I, I just kind of surrendered to the fact that this is life right now. I know what I need to do. I'm going to keep doing it, but not in this perfectionistic way and um, kind of just give my trust in that to God really was my biggest thing. I was like, I'm just going to put my trust there. I know what I need to do. I'm not going to stop doing it, but I'm not going to keep doing it with such perfectionism because I have so many other things I need to be focusing on right now. And I just know, and I trust that if I'm doing these main baseline steps, I'm just going to put it in God's hands. And, um, it'll, if it's in his will for me, it'll happen when it does. And I, that really is what did it after a month and a half, two months of doing that. I was like, I got it. So it was almost like letting go of the perfectionism with it I guess um and not putting as much stress and you're terrible if your temperatures drop or you're terrible if you didn't you know eat this much this day or 
I don't know. It was just like taking the stress and like beating myself up over it off of it for a little bit, even though my plan was to go back to that. But <laughs> yeah, you know, like one of the biggest things, and this isn't for everybody. Hmm, I think it is. I think that there's this level of trust that has to happen. Like you, like, you know, Danny explained it way beginning of like the podcast journey. She was like, sometimes you just have to like jump off this diving board and realize that there is a party down at the bottom. You know what I mean? And I remember being like, huh, I don't really know if I resonate with that, but the more and more, but she's great with analogies, right? I'm always like, yes, what's your next analogy? Um, <laughs> but it's one of those things of, I like, I have someone in mind now who has recovered and potentially not in this place where she feels like she trusts completely, but I feel like it's one of those things where trust either comes with your cycle or it happens after, but either way, there has to be this, um, this restoration of trust with our body to let go, let it go. Just, just know that your body can do this. And at the end, and I think it's, we finally get to the end of our rope where we're like, I'm tired. I'm tired of trying to force this to happen my way. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So what do you feel That's like? I was after sure. Yeah. Right. Like I just, you know what I mean? I have collected the evidence and I, and now say objectively, this is not working. And I think it's really hard for women like us who are very driven to where I'm like, I've, and you're like, I've heard other people say this before. I'm like, oh, sweet. I'm not a crazy person is this is the only thing that I couldn't make happen in my life. For the first time in my life, I met something that I couldn't force, try hard or be consistent enough. To I've heard make. that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It was exactly what it felt like. I was like, everything was so much easier, you know, it was so much easier mm-hmm. to just like, you know do bodybuilding and do everything that I was told to do when no one else could. And, um, you know, it was much easier to, I don't know, everything was easier and like, it just happened. And this one, I was like, oh, well, it's not, it's not working. (laughs) I can't put my perfectionism into this one clearly. Um, because it's just making me beat myself up over and over again. So, um, I don't think though, like kind of, disclaimer you can start that way (laughs) I think I had to very much get the understanding of where my body needs to be get my body into at least a certain place because it was not even close so I don't think I could have started with the oh I'm just gonna give it and trust I I don't think I could have started there but I think with the place I was in where I was kind of just feeling stagnant and feeling like I was constantly doing nothing but stressing about it and beating myself up about it it was the time where I needed to be like, okay, I'm going to take what I know I need to do and just put trust in and leave the perfectionism behind. Um, and yeah, but I don't think I could have started that way that that wouldn't have worked. So little disclaimer there, um, the swimming uphill for a while needed to happen first for sure. But, um, yeah, I think I was just in that place where, I don't know, it was time for that. Yeah. So we talk about that all the time that, um, there, there has to be some basic groundwork. And so that is the going through the tough motions of increasing your food, decreasing the exercise. You know what I mean? Like there, yes, a hundred percent. 
Um, I think what's really interesting too. So I love that we've been able to kind of like tease out like the emotional aspects of all this and the struggle. Tell me a little bit about how going through an identity crisis, I feel like everybody goes through an identity crisis through HA. It's just kind of like, if, if you didn't know it was coming, let this be your warning. <laughs> there will be an identity crisis. Um, and that isn't a bad thing, but obviously going through it, what was that for you? Like, what are the things that you had to let go of in order for you to get to this place of trust and healing? Because we can't always bring our old identity into a new healed season of life. Mm -hmm. It was hard. I mean, I think my entire life, I was some version of the small one, um, you know, I was the flyer and cheer. Then I was, you know, eating disorder for many years. So the sickly small one. And then I was the bodybuilder and the crossfire. I was always the fit one. I went through a lot of inner crises, but a lot of them still revolved around this aspect of being small, being skinny. Um, and it was very hard to let that go. And I don't even know why it was at that point. I was like, I know I don't care about it. I have my husband that is totally on board for me gaining weight. And I have, you know, I finally have my relationship in my faith that I want. And I know that that's not anything that God tells me to be. I have my stepson. He doesn't care about that. I, I have my job. And if anything, if I'm super skinny, they're going to trust me less. I want to be this role model for them. Everything that was in line with my values was kind of happening in my life. And it didn't have to do with my body, but at the same time, I think it was just so ingrained that like, I have to be this because it's what I've always been. And if I let that go of like smallness or fitness or whatever, um, it's just, I don't know what I thought was gonna happen. It just felt wrong and it felt scary and it felt off, even though I knew all these other things were such a better identity. Um, but I, I don't exactly know what helped with that it, it just kind of I guess over time of not being that and understanding that that's okay I think I mean and knowing I know. that nothing changed in my life I know what, what? happened <laughs> you know? I think, okay Tell I know me. what happened I need to know so yeah so and and this is just a really important message for everyone to like keep going is that in doing the work and being focused and asking the questions and showing up and being curious about what I'm doing and having that conversation with yourself about like, okay, well, um, you know, I want, I want to be an eating disorder therapist. So it's actually serving me to have a better body, like a higher body weight, you know, going through all of that, revisiting it over and over again, reflecting on what you're doing, reflecting on your goals, looking at your behaviors, yada, yada, that process doing it over and over again, neurologically rewires you. And that is why mm -hmm. you have to show up and you have to put in the reps, even when to you don't feel like it and that is why it doesn't happen overnight and you look back right you can zoom out and look back and be like oh wow I do think differently now I do see the world a little differently I am now different but it mm -hmm. happened so slowly and in such small tweaks and over such time that you're like I don't even know how I got here because it was just so like just so little that you just chipped away but you changed the chemistry of your brain. And it's weird because you expect yeah. to change it when you change the chemistry of your brain to be completely different, but you're not. The voice is still there. The fears are still there. Yeah. 
Oh yeah. Still there. Just, looks, <laughs> just doesn't look like what we thought it would. Yeah. I think that's exactly it. Yep. It was a slow, constant rewiring. Of, and this is what oh, it is oh, like is with a- primary amenorrhea. Primary amenorrhea, it is. That it takes longer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it does for sure. I think, I think there was a little piece um, in the eating disorder of, I don't know, there was a little while where almost the primary menorrhea was like an accomplishment of cool. Like I'm like that like right. sick. I made it. There was that little period of time. And um, so I think rewiring that too, like there was, just, there was a lot to it. And, um, but it is important. And so I think you might be in a place where you don't know what's going on and might think that your brain will never rewire. I, I know this from myself and also from patients I work with of like, what if I'm just, if I am in this body, I'm just always gonna, you know, hate myself then or not be able to accept myself. And it's just not realistic if you're constantly, mm-hmm. you know, reminding yourself and reframing and fact-checking and doing all these things. It's, it's not going to be possible for your brain to keep this wiring of, I only can be okay with myself if I'm thin, if you're actually doing the work to not think that way, because our brains don't work that way. It's not, that's not a thought process that we're born to have. So it's not just going to sit there forever and ever always. Yeah. Yeah. I love this because this is, this is the conversation that people need to hear of this takes time. And like, I think like Danny and I can attest to it. Like there's still moments where we have to identify that. Oh, that thought wanted me just to agree with it and circle back into an old habit. And that like rewiring is a continuous nurturing process of choosing to engage something different every time different. And and it's not as painful as it will be. And that's why I think, again, when it comes to body image, which is obviously a huge component in the fear of recovering, why we don't want to recover, all these things of, you know, I encourage you to give it a year after you've recovered and then kind of come and talk to me about what your body image is like, because I promise you, you're, you're going to be able to say, something, I can't explain it. I don't know when it happened, but eventually I just started to get more comfortable. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is like, that's not a sexy sell. <laughs> it's not, it's really not. It's not a sexy sell. I, I don't sell. love every part of myself always right now. It's not yeah. a self-love. I love every part of my body journey necessarily. It's not that exciting. There are still days where it's not that great, but it, it just doesn't have to define you, I think is the biggest thing. And over time, it doesn't feel like it has to because you're seeing the evidence over time. You don't see it right away of like, mm-hmm. wow, so many of the things in my life are still either the same or better. And my body looks this way. So everything I was telling myself for so long is clearly a lie, but it takes the building of that evidence to be able to believe it. But it, you're right. It's not sexy. And like, yeah, you're going to love your body 100% the instant that you get your period back. No, (laughs) that's not necessarily realistic, I guess for everyone, but. And I think unfortunately in like today's health, health and wellness world where everyone wants to sell a package, you know what I mean? To where it's like, sorry, I'm going to look at you sideways and with massive amount of suspicion, if you're like, and then, 
at the end of our time together, you will be able to achieve a positive body image, neutrality, appreciation. I'm like, you're a liar because that's not how the brain works. I don't want to believe you that that's possible, but it is really like there, there's nothing, there's like no sexy packages that is like in time, as you sit in discomfort, you will eventually get to this place where you stop being at war with your body. And that's what's worth it. But I can't promise you that in three months, I can't promise you that in six months, you know what I mean? And I can't promise you that it's not going to take work and that it's not going to take some maintenance nurturing. And you know what I mean? And so it's just really interesting that every client that I've had, not one of them has been an Ashley. I still hate everything. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. it, that's just, that's just not what's happened. What I've, what I've seen, especially as I follow up with clients, you know what I mean? That they're like, you know, I'm not at war today. And that feels good. And I'm like, oh my gosh, yes. What if that is living your best life? Like I'm of this belief that I don't think you have Mm. to love your body to live your best life. Mm. And I don't, you absolutely don't. And I don't think that loving your body means that you're obsessed and you're taking tons of selfies. I actually think that leads to a whole lot of other issues, Mm. (laughs) but that's another for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, guys, this has been awesome. We have to wrap up, but did we, okay. Full context. Like, let's just clear this up with like the stats. You had no period for how many years? Exactly. I got my first period when I was 25. You were 25 (laughs) and your AMH levels, you did testing. You figured that stuff, like you saw all the hard work you did. Now that you zoom back, you see all of that hard work you did. We just went over it in this whole call. You improved your AMH levels, right? Yep. They got back to normal. I'm not yeah. even concerned. I don't know exactly what they are, but from pre-menopausal, quote unquote, to normal. I think that's crazy. 0.765. And now they're like at 3.64. So you restored Look your fertility. You. you know better than me. Look at you. So huge congrats, Karina. We're so excited for you and for the hope that it brings all the other people listening who have just had HA for crazy amounts of time or have never had a period at all. It's freaking possible. And I think the best takeaway for people right now from your story is like, there was no like aha moment for you. There was no like, oh my gosh, I just like am totally, you know, I've totally flipped the mental script here and like, you just, you were where you were at any given time, chipping away. There were highs and lows and plateaus, but like you just kind of kept going. And that's. Yeah. It was definitely a surprise. It wasn't like, this is a hundred percent. Woo. It's a complete yeah. aha moment. And I know I'm getting Appreciate it, it. And I got it. It came out. Thank of you way. so much. So, Thank you so yeah. much for sharing your story with us today. So inspiring. Um, I know a lot of people are very thankful for it today. Course. Thank, Thank you. you guys for giving me the opportunity. Yeah. I appreciate it so much. And everything that I've learned from you guys has been why I'm at where I'm at today. So oh. thank <laughs> you. And thanks, Ashley. And we'll see all of you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks. Hey there. It's me, Danny. And I want to tell you about Temp Drop as a fertility awareness method tracking option. 
So many of you guys know that we actually recommend the fertility awareness method both as you're going through recovery and 100% after you have gotten some cycles back and you're starting to move forward for the rest of your reproductive years. So TempDrop itself is a wearable fertility monitor and we love it. It's a wearable device, so you put it around your arm and you can use that instead of taking your temperature manually with a thermometer each morning. So I'm personally a big fan of the manual tracking, all of us at the HA Society are, and that's the method that we use, you know, just using a good old thermometer. We use that with our clients because it's the best way to use it as a diagnostic tool, as a practitioner. And it's also the best way to ensure if you're trying to avoid pregnancy that you don't get pregnant. However, manual temping for many reasons is just not always an option. When you're in the middle of recovery, again, we do recommend manual temping. But once you're cycling, the temp drop is actually a really great hack. So it gives you basically everything you need to effortlessly track your fertility status, like where you are in your monthly cycle. So you wear the temp drop sensor while you're sleeping for accurate basal body temperature readings without the stress of early morning wake-ups. So I personally love this because with a toddler, my wake-up times are all over the place and the occasional sleep disruptions make using an oral thermometer a lot more difficult. So temp drops accompanying charting app enables you to track an array of symptoms alongside your basal body temperature This includes tracking your cervical mucus, if you've been using OPKs, and then it also gives you sleep insights too. So you can combine these fertility signs all in one place, and that will help you identify your fertile window, confirm ovulation, plan for your period. And if you're trying to get pregnant, you know, identify whether or not you are pregnant. So whether you're trying to conceive or avoiding pregnancy, or you want to chart for health reasons, like HA recovery, making sure your cycle is not slipping back in the HA direction. TempDrop makes fertility awareness accessible to all women, even if you don't have regular cycles or sleeping patterns. So track your ovulation in real time with the TempDrop. And we are lucky enough to have a 15% off code. So if you go to their website, they're usually having a sale, but you can stack this code on top of the existing code so just go to tempdrop.thehasociety.com and use the code afha society i think too if you just go to tempdrop.com and, and use um, afha society at the checkout that will work too so happy temping and good luck This episode is brought to you by Grassland Nutrition Beef Liver Capsules. Did you know that in terms of nutrient density, beef liver actually blows vegetables and fruits out of the water? If you're a client of mine, you have already been instructed to eat beef liver either fresh or in capsule form. I recommend it for anyone and everyone who is, of course, dealing with amenorrhea and fertility challenges out there, but I may even recommend it for just everyone in general. Get your husbands on it. Get your partners on it. If you have a history of HA and add on top of that, maybe a history of the pill, maybe you've been pregnant before, you know, through treatments or other, like you've just, your body's been through anything, you know, you're absolutely 100% dealing with a nutrient deficiency of some kind. 
And while it's true that testing is going to be the best way to understand those exact deficiencies, eating nutrient-dense real food is going to be one of the most important next steps that you take with or without testing. So I've been using and recommending Grassland Nutrition Beef Liver Capsules for years now. And the capsule form makes it so easy to get your liver in every day. And I appreciate the transparency of this product in particular above others. So in case you're wondering, it's completely natural. This is freeze-dried beef liver in capsules. It's organic. It's made from Australian beef and my favorite of their products is the liver with kelp because of the iodine from the kelp which is important for overall thyroid function which is often low in women with underperforming hormones so rather than eat seaweed snacks every day i get to take this beef liver with the kelp for my iodine so if you're recovering or working on a fertility journey right now do not skimp the nutrient rich source of beef liver get 10% off your order with the HA Society and support your favorite podcast along the way they ship to most countries so you should be covered just go to grasslandnutrition.net and use HA Society just HA Society at the checkout for the 10% off that's grasslandnutrition.net with the code HA Society Thank you so much for listening today, guys. Please subscribe to the podcast. And if you could head to iTunes specifically and leave a rating or review, that would help so much because it makes it easier for other people with HA who are Googling around to find the podcast really easily. So if you do that, you're doing a service to all of the women.